Spectrum's brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features interviews with an eclectic group of people, some famous and some not so much, but every bit is fascinating. This week, we're talking with comedian Paula Poundstone. She's currently touring the country doing her unique version of stand-up while writing a book and performing on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. So for people who have not seen your stand-up performance, it's, it's a unique style. How, how would you describe it? Well, I, uh, I talk about raising a house full of kids and animals, and I talk about trying to pay attention to the news well enough to cast a halfway decent vote, which we all know is made more and more difficult with every election cycle. Um, and my favorite part of the night is um, talking to the audience. I do the time-honored, where are you from, what do you do for a living? Uh, I, and, and in this way, little biographies of audience members emerge, and I use that from which to set my sails. So on any given night, probably a third uh, uh, of what goes on that night will, has never has never been said before and won't be said again because it's based on the you know the people who are in front of me and I don't know just the experience that night. Um, it, uh, I my my manager always tells people I know who to choose from the audience to talk to and that's not true at all. Um, the truth is uh, you get anybody talking for a few minutes and they have um, they have great stuff to great stuff to say. Um, and so that's how I proceed. I, I read someplace that uh, uh, your performance is sort of like attending a cocktail party. You sort of survey the the, the array of the audience to find out who you're going to pick, uh, what you might want to talk about. Yeah, it is a little bit like a cocktail party, you know. When you, when you first go in, you, t- you talk about how hard it was to park and how, and how lost you got. Uh, and then... Uh, and then somebody says, tell that story you told before, and you tell that. Uh, and then you talk about uh, current events for a little bit, and then somebody on the other side of the room spills a drink and you mock them. Um, so uh, it has all those elements. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's a nice conversation with the crowd, you know. Um, it's not like a, um, I know a lot of comics have, like, you know, heckler lines already. I, I, it's not the kind of way in which I engage the crowd. Well, and it's not a Don Rickles kind of engagement either. It's, it's actually uh, no, conversation. It yeah, it is. Uh, and I, I do get just, you know, great people talking to me. I, I always wish I, you know, 
as the years go by, they all sort of blend together a little bit. And it's it's hard for me to remember exactly. I get a lot of teachers, I guess, and a lot of. Uh, um, sadly, I get the occasional, um, uh, you know, computer software designer, <laughs> uh, which I just glaze over. I'm 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 so sorry that anybody has that job. It, it uh, you you can't even interact with them, right? Well, usually I quickly say, well, "What do you like to do in your spare time?" Um, <laughs> because yeah, I just I don't get the whole software thing, and nobody says it with great joy. Honestly, when they say I I, I develop software, no one no one's jumping out of their seat when they say it. So I think it's just as ghastly for them as it is as it is for the rest of us. I just I, I don't think computers. Uh, I, you know, it's not that it's not a great idea in some level, um, but they certainly haven't delivered on their promise the way we, that we, we, we had hoped they would, you know. It's, it's not the information superhighway of, you know, connectivity in the classroom, for example, that we thought it would be. If you look at the proliferation of electronics in, in both the home and the school, uh, as the line, as the graph line of that goes up, the graph line of SAT scores go down. Uh, they haven't really brought us what we were hoping they would bring us. Well, I know that you did a, a, a great commentary on, on CBS Sunday Morning about uh, us actually being addicted to electronics. And we are, uh, and to varying degrees. I mean, there's a kind of addiction to electronics um, that people should uh, absolutely fear, um, which is, you know, that looks a lot like heroin. Um, uh, it's, uh, I think the portal is oftentimes video gaming, where they actually hire behavioral psychologists to help make the games addictive, and it works. They're very skilled at what they do. The staggered really rewards. It, it, yeah, exactly. And it can, these little dopamine hits in the brain, blah, 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 that they do totally intentionally. Um, and they really prey on our children doing that. It's an awful, awful thing. Um, there, there's that, but then there's, you know, the truth is Facebook is addictive. Uh, checking email is addictive. I don't think anybody set out to make that so, but it turns out that it is. If I checked my mailbox as often as I check my email, my neighbors would do an intervention. <laughs> it's, uh, right. You know, I, I've argued with my manager a lot about this. She's a she's a big addict with with uh, the computer. And when I talked to her about it, she said to me one time, she said, no, I'm not addicted. I just like it. And I said, let me tell you. Exactly. <laughs> I, I said, I, I love to play ping pong. I love to tap dance. I love to practice the drums. I have never once tried to do any one of those things while driving in such a way as that the cops couldn't see. Because I am not addicted to those things, I just enjoy them, and there is a big and vast difference. Do you um, ever have a conversation with her where she's not looking at her phone? Well, we're not generally together. We're, we're, we're usually over the phone to begin I with. See. But I can tell you, and I'm guilty of this too, um, because certainly I'm, I, I have my share of addiction with the computer. I can tell you that there will be these points in the conversation where she... You know, she clearly didn't hear what I said, or it sort of slows down, and I'm not sure. Sometimes I think maybe um, one of our phones dropped out or something, and I realize later it's because she was reading her email or 
or you know what do they call that you know scanning the you know scrolling around on the on the net while she was talking to me and i have certainly done the same thing it's it's hard not to at at the holidays i did a computer free holiday week and um and i got to say uh it was not easy the first I couple bet. of days uh i i did really feel um you know, I miss the little dopamine hit that you get when your machine goes dink and tells you there's a new something on there, you know. Uh, and then after the first couple of days, it felt really good. And when I have come back to using it, um, I suppose it's gotten sort of incrementally worse as every day has gone by in terms of how much I'm on it. But I have certainly returned with uh, a stronger discipline uh, in the area of like I, I'm a big Twitterer, and I right. and I do check email compulsively. But you know, maybe I just used the wrong word there because I think particularly with our kids who have developing brains, we, you know, it's not just a matter of self-control. Um, you know, the frontal lobe of the brain um, is affected by addiction, and it's very much overstimulated by the computer. So what happens is that's the part that has control and uh, reasoning and judgment and sort of long-term planning and understanding future consequences, well, a kid doesn't have that developed to begin with. And now you're asking them to use that section of their brain to control a behavior that stymies the development of that section of their brain. And so it's actually not enough to expect your kid to control themselves when it comes to using these devices. You have to do that awful parental thing where you just plain take it away. So every child having a computer in school in, in lieu of art or recess or music, uh, that that's totally alien to your way of thinking. It's alien to any intelligent brain science inclusion way of thinking. It really is. I mean, we know that if you feed kids healthy foods, it actually changes the behavior in the classroom. We know that if you have green space outside the school in the yard, um, instead of having everything uh, you know, uh, paved over, um, that it changes, uh, the, 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 it improves the development of the brain and changes behavior makes the brain more ready for learning in the classroom. We know that if you exercise, you know, the same thing. So, and music and art, same thing. So those are four really easy fixes for some of what ails us in the classroom and in the area of education. And we keep turning our back on that so that we can buy more, you know, iPads, right? And even the Pediatric Association has already come out and said that, um, you know, uh, for kids under three, they say no screens at all. Um, so I don't see where, you know, that makes. I mean, they simply don't belong in an elementary school, one way or the other. I would argue that even in high school, I would say no computers. If you want to take a tech, if they would provide a tech class, great have a classroom for that, and the computers stay in that classroom. We took typing, and we didn't carry the typewriters <laughs> around with us all day. No, we did not. No, and we the whole, not. you know, the whole, uh, I mean, a lot of parents have gotten so lazy in their planning that part of the reason they want their kid to have a phone is so that they can 
communicate with the kid when they change their plan of what time they're going to pick them up. And I just feel like, you know what? How about this? Here's a good idea. Make a plan and stick to it. <laughs> yeah, we, none right. of us do that anymore. We all rely on the phone, right? If you're headed to somebody's, if you're headed to an appointment with somebody, I can guarantee you there's five phone calls, either from them or from you, saying, well, can we make it 1215? Well, I'm stuck in traffic. Well, I didn't do this. Well, could we make, could we change it? I just, oh, my God, how our brains aren't totally overwhelmed every single day with that last minute niggling over over times, uh, you know, whereas in the old days, you said, yeah, I'll see you at six. Be, I'll be, be there at noon. Right. And by golly, you were. Be, being a writer and, and a comic, I, I know that you, you love words. And, and I was interested, you, you've made a comment that, that this whole computer generation has really hijacked words like connected and, and friendship and friends. And friends. Imagine someone sullying the word friends. Not that politicians and used car salesmen hadn't already gone down that path to some degree. Right. But taking the word friends, oh my gosh, that's just disgusting. And and the word, you know, connected. You know, people say, well, you know, we like to, it's helped us stay connected. It's cut off connection. Even my son, who is uh, suffers from terrible electronics addiction, by the way, which is how I happen to begin studying on this topic, was trying to get him help. Um, I mean, I was aware from the moment I started using a computer, um, I happened to be writing a book at the time, and the book included writing about the experience of starting to use the computer, and this was several years ago. And um, I, I, so I recognized, you know, so I documented what was happening, and I recognized right away my own personal uh, pull in, in that direction, you know, and then, and then uh, I came to recognize the fact that my son was just falling down a rabbit hole. And it became pretty easy to recognize after a while because uh, it, it, it is very much like heroin once it gets to that extreme. Right. Um, so I was seeking help for, for him. And uh, by the way, this is several years ago. The only thing I could find at that time um, for any kind of help for him, I swear to you, was an online support group, uh, <laughs> which uh, obviously I did not opt um, no. to go in that direction. But I, w- w- recently we were in a downtown area somewhere, and now n- now Thomas is um, he's in a program where he's nowhere near electronics, um, and and uh, he, he basically lives in a tent and, <laughs> and uh, in the woods, and and has for close to a year. Um, just in order to give his, his brain a chance to heal from these demonic machines. Um, but anyways, we were, we were visiting, and we were in a downtown area. And this is from a 17-year-old you know, boy who doesn't, n- not great on observation as a general rule, uh, 17-year-old boys in general. Um, we're walking down the downtown area, and he, sa- and he notices how many people have headphones in while they're walking. And he said, you know, Mom, you can't even just say hi to anybody anymore. And I thought, wow. I mean, I knew that. But the fact that he recognized that and saw it as like a real negative, you know. Remember the beginning of, of Beauty and the Beast where they're like, bonjour, bonjour. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that anymore. You go, bonjour, and someone have to take their headphones out, and then they're annoyed that that's all you were saying. 
Or they didn't want to talk to you in the first place, right? Honestly, they didn't even have music on. They just had the headphones on to look. I can't stand, you know, even, I haven't seen this as much lately, but the goofy, stupid Bluetooth thing, when people are walking through the airport, you know, know how they're talking. We get that across campus a lot. Oh my gosh, I can't stand that. And they're ta- and you and the thing is, a lot of times I, I don't realize that they're ta- I think they make eye contact with me, but they're talking to somebody else. How am I supposed to know that? So I'm a pretty friendly person. Somebody looks at me and talks. Guess what? I talk back. And then they look so annoyed because you've interrupted their phone conversation. You know what I think we should have? We should have a thing if people are going to use those stupid things. They should have a thing on their head like a cab. You know, that <laughs> yes, does like service. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we they should have they and legally they should have to wear it because I'm tired of this stuff. So it should and it can like pop up from their skull and just say, you know, yeah, right, in service, out of service. That would be very helpful to us. Good, good idea. Good idea. I've got a lot of good ideas. I, <laughs> that's true. My so, first so, good idea is just get rid of that stuff, damn it. It's awful. The flats, the, the, the flat thing, that's what I call them. Everybody's looking at their flat thing. You know, honestly, if Robert Frost had lived today, he would have written, whose woods are these? I think I'll Google it. <laughs> Nobody thinks. Nobody or, drifts. Or done Siri. That's even worse sometimes. Oi, oi, yeah. We'll be back after this short message. This program is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Ohio University's online applied communication program offered by the renowned Scripps College of Communication is designed for associate degree graduates who want to further their education and advance their careers. It's been ranked first in the best online bachelor's in communication and public relations students before profits award 2015-2016 by nonprofit colleges online. In the program, you will study across multiple communication disciplines to gain understanding of how they work together and graduate with a Bachelor of Science in Communication in Applied Communication from the Scripps College. One of the premier colleges of its kind in the nation, the Scripps College of Communication, has been designated as a center of excellence by the state of Ohio. It is considered one of Ohio University's most distinguished programs by the Guide to 101 of Best Values in American Colleges and Universities. Read more about it at ohio.edu slash applied communication. So, with all these great ideas you have, how come you have the worst record on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me? Well, because they cheat. That's <laughs> the nearest I can come up with. No, they're very smart, my fellow panelists on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Um, they do cheat. You know, there are steroids. No one ever talks about it. But there's doping in uh, Wait, Wait. Um, yeah, they're, they're really smart, those guys. I feel it's cheating to be that smart. See, I you know, think... a lot of them are like Harvard people and stuff. And, I, and I'm, you know, I, 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 I got a basketball scholarship through the School of Hard Knocks. <laughs> 
I see. I think though that people identify with you as the uh, every person uh, on that show because I, I, I've read that you you sort of gather newspapers on your on your flight and and read as long as you can stay awake. Is that right? And, That's and, exactly and, correct. And, and your level of knowledge of the week's current events has to do with what's going on at your house and and your life. And that's the way it is with most people. I think it is. And and I I think that's taken advantage of a lot by the powers that be, by the way. Um, uh, But it is true. You know, the more dramatic my life at home, the the less distance outside of our own lives I can look, you know. Um, I, I can only care so much about what's going on in the rest of the world when when disaster is in my wake here at home, you know, until I have my my son and my daughter squared away, um, it, it is hard to pay attention to everything else. Although I will say, um, generally speaking on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, one's downfall is the news of the weird. Yes. You know, <laughs> I, I, sometimes, not always, but sometimes I'll be I'll be humming along until the question about, you know, what someone had down their pants uh, while going through the TSA comes to me, you know. And by the way, it's usually a safe bet that it's a ferret. Uh, (laughs) You being being an animal lover, you'd know that. Yeah, well, there's there's a couple of, you know, there's a couple of go-to answers. uh, 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 Wait, wait, don't tell me. You know, ferrets down his pants is, is a good one. Just to keep in your back pocket, you know, uh, for when you don't know the answer to something. It's sort of like the, remember the great I Love Lucy where she tries to cheat on the quiz show and she memorizes the answers? Yeah. You know, one of the answers was uh, to scrape the barnacles off her hull. Yes, I recall. And one of them was the sap runs every two years. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So I keep, you know, ferrets down his pants just because you never know. Um. Yeah, it is definitely the news of the weird. It's, it's it's always the, you know, we have a lot of things about um, people robbing banks or convenience stores that don't go well. There tends to be a lot of, um, I mean, the amount of those incidents, it's just amazing to begin with. Um, I mean, even if you were the most skilled robber in the world, right, even if really you were, and you had, you know, and, and, uh, things fell your way a lot. Uh, you'd have to work like a dog to make enough money from robbing Seven <laughs> Eleven. It's not going to happen. To yeah, to survive in in any in any real pleasurable way. Uh, and if you're going to do that, why not just get a job where when you do it, if you're caught doing it, you won't get arrested. Makes good sense, doesn't it? Does but no, but fortunately for wait, wait, don't tell me. A lot of people haven't figured that out yet, and so there's lots and lots of uh, you know stupid criminal questions. And generally speaking, I I, I get the, the answers to those wrong. And, and there's a misconception though that that you pick on researchers and and think that research is stupid. But but I've heard you say just the opposite of that. No, for example. Uh, um, I think research on addiction has been stymied by AA. I think this idea that, you know, you turn it over to a higher power uh, sort of makes people afraid uh, of of using real science in, in their research in the area of addiction. But the truth is, um, 
no, I'm a, I'm a huge supporter of, of science and information and, and research. What Peter says to me all the time, he'll say, well, you know, Stanford University did uh, a study um, that determined that, uh, uh, let's see, cats are the only animals that don't forgive. Now, <laughs> I just question not only the veracity of such a study, because how the hell do you know when a hippo has uh, uh, forgiven you? Um, that's one problem I have. But the other problem I have is, okay, when you have that information, how does it move us forward as a society? Um, <laughs> and who funded it in the first place, right? Well, exactly. Who's benefiting um, from such a, a, a study? Uh, you know, I'm going to have to assume in that one dogs, because in the age-old dog-cat rivalry... Dogs always trying to make themselves look so good. And you have both. You, I believe, 15 cats and, and a, at least a couple of dogs. I have two German Shepherd Mix dogs. And by the way, I specifically say German Shepherd Mix. I don't take the names of the other breeds that they may have within them and combine it with German Shepherd to make a cute new uh, uh, breed. Uh, which, you know, people do that all the time now, the Labradoodle. Yeah, right. That's not a breed. That's, that's a mutt. That's what that is. I, I saw a dog one day, it was, they, they said it was a pug-a-muffin. It was part <laughs> pug, and it had blueberries in it. That's not a breed. And I know they do the same thing with dachshunds and chihuahuas. That's a strange combination as well. Oh, geez, really? My daughter and I, when my, my middle daughter, who is now 21, uh, we, when she was about nine years old, we were walking down the street one day. And you know how when you see somebody with a dog, it's a, you know, it's a conversation piece. Sure. I mean, honestly, I've been guilty of talking to someone's dog before and barely saying a word to the person. Um, and, and, and so we're walking down the street and we see a dog and, and, and we, you know, we asked the person if we could pet the dog. And we talked to the dog for a few minutes and I turned to the, 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 the dog owner because it was a funny looking dog. And I said, what kind of dog is that? And he said, part chihuahua and part boxer. Whoa. And it, Allie and I kind of slowly backed away and <laughs> we walked for a while and, and uh, she was dead silent. And then finally she looked up at me and said, mom, how could that happen? <laughs> and I, I said, well, honey, I think it's what those carpeted stairs they sell for dogs on television are for. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a chihuahua boxer, that's an offense. That's... But that's where your mind goes immediately, doesn't it? Well, even a nine-year-old's mind went there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a puzzle. It was like a, it was a, it was, it, yeah, it was like the eighth wonder of the world, for heaven's sakes. Yeah, and, and by the way, I, I don't want to insult chihuahuas or boxers, but uh, it wasn't worth the effort. <laughs> it was not an attractive dog in any way. that good. No, whereas my, my, whereas my beautiful German Shepherd mixes, they are very, they are very pretty dogs. I know we're imposing on your time, but just one last thing. Your book's coming out uh, this fall. Is that correct? Are you still no, writing? You know or? what? It's going to come out in January. In January. Um, and I'll tell you why. Because we realized that if it came out in the fall, um, it would be up against all the clamor, the cacophony of noise of the uh, elections. Ah, right, right, right. And right, right. Uh, that it would be very hard to get any kind of traction. And therefore... Um, I, 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 I'm delaying it even further. Not, not, not that I mind delaying it even further because, oh my gosh, writing a book is... I realized last night while I was struggling to write 
here's what I need as a writer. I need to hire someone to come into my room every 20 minutes and say, you're not an idiot. <laughs> and Just in this way, I would be more... Pro- it would be helpful. Do, is it the writing that, that's troublesome or the editing or, or both? Well, it's, 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 it's both. You know, the great thing about being a stand-up, there's many great things about being a stand-up. It is the greatest job in the entire world, and I am the luckiest performer ever to have this job. Um, but, you know, you, you think of something, and you say it in front of a crowd, and you get a reaction. And you, you, don't, you don't necessarily know what everyone's reaction will be every time you say it, but eventually, over time, it's like a polished stone. You know, over time, yeah, you, you do. You, can, you go, all right, yeah, I know where this fits in, and I, and, I, and I come to know, you know. But even if it doesn't go over, you know, so what? You toss that one away, you try another one. But writing, you don't have that. You don't have that uh, immediate response. You're, you're, you're going down a blind tunnel, and I'm so used to the other approach. Where, where um, you're changing probably constantly until you refine something, till, till you know it's going to work and you know exactly the reaction you're, you're going to get. And you're tinkering with it constantly, writing. You, you, you do it and then you send it off to this neverland that you have no idea what the response is going to be. And, by the way, the response, even you send it to, you send it to an editor, right? Yeah, uh, right. Uh, uh, it's one person doesn't tell you anything. It might tell you they were in a bad mood that day. It doesn't tell you anything. So, um, yeah. And the other thing, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's stuff that I do over and over again, and over time it sort of got designed this way through this constant feedback from the crowd. And then there's this other stuff that I will never do again um, that is, you know, unique just to that night. Right. And, you know, again, with a book, uh, it doesn't work that way, you know. When, 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 uh, you know, when Dickens said it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Um, he, he it, it came out in every single edition. <laughs> right, and he was describing <laughs> his own process. I think. Yeah, honestly, that's what I think about writing. I think it is either the worst of the best things, or it is the best of the worst things. Um, it, it, it's very hard to do. I, I can't imagine making a living doing it. Well, I, I, I think I would blow my brains out. Honestly, I do. You're a very busy woman. Can you do it on the road, or is it someplace that, that you have to do it sitting down at a, a certain location or something like that? I used to do it on the road. I, I uh, My last book I wrote, you know, and I'm so damn slow. That's the other thing. Um, I wrote a book called There's Nothing in This Book That I Meant to Say that came out several years ago. Right. It took me nine years to write that book. So naturally, <laughs> when I made a deal for another book, I thought, oh, boy, okay, I can't possibly do worse than I did the last time, right, in terms of how long it took me. So I'm like, this is going to be a breeze. Um, the kids are a little bit older, you know, had a little bit more time to stick and move. And uh, <laughs> right. I think, honestly, I think it's taken the same amount of time. It's it's just a nine year cycle for you. That's what I it is. I guess it is. You know, not exactly Charles Dickens, am I? Oh, well, that's all right. He, he wrote the same thing over and over again, right? Mm, I guess he he. Uh, you know, he had this great thing that he would do where he wrote, he wrote for two weeks, and then he took and then he didn't for two weeks. Sounds Which isn't to say, you know, I mean, the thing is, writing. 
is you, you, you really do your writing when you're driving or going for a walk, and he was a big walker, uh, or, or, or doing the dishes or scrubbing the floor. That's when you do your writing. Um, what you do when you sit with a piece of paper in front of you or a stupid computer is um, uh, stenography. Um, you know, that's when you're writing down the stuff that you thought of. You regurgitate uh, what you've already thought through. Yeah, to some degree. Um, yeah, to some degree. I mean, you're not... Uh, I will say this about writing, and, and it's one of the things that I think that the, that, that the computer is destroying for us. There's elements of you using a computer, certainly, that make some parts of the process of writing faster. Um, but having said that, I think what goes on in the brain when you have a pen and a piece of paper. I mean, my first book and the three math workbooks I wrote, um, I did all uh, with a pen and a piece of paper. Um, I would hand the handwritten stuff to a typist, um, right. and then they would type it up, and I would take a look at it again. Um, and But I hand-wrote everything I did probably, I don't know, in the first book, I would say at least four or five times all the way through. Before I, you know, before it ever came to a, uh, a, a, even so much as a typewriter, let alone a computer, uh, I do think that what happens to the brain when you're when you're writing, writing with a pen and a piece of paper, is a lot richer um, than what you can do with a silly, stupid screen. You're more engaged in many ways. Yeah, and there's real evolutionary brain science to that. There's a reason for that. Um, there's a terrific book, by the way, that uh, should be required reading for. Uh, for everyone, certainly for our legislature, um, which is called The Shallows uh, by a guy named Nicholas Carr. And the subtitle of it is What the Internet is Doing to Our Brain. And um, it's brilliant. He's a, a really wonderful writer to begin with. And then he sort of stumbled on this topic um, because of what he noticed it was doing to him. And then he began uh, researching. And there's another really great book, by the way, for um, for parents, and forgive the name of it because I, I don't think the name really serves us all that well. There's a book called Reset Your Child's Brain. It sounds a little Frankensteinish, right. um, but it's written by a woman named Nick, uh, named uh, Victoria Dunkley, and um, it's got really. I mean, even if you only read the first third of it, it's got great information about the developing brain and the computer. And I think that every parent. Uh, and every educator should be required to read it. We've been talking with comedian Paula Poundstone, who is doing her stand-up across the country as well as writing a book and performing on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. We want to thank you for listening to Spectrum. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Next on Spectrum, we will talk with Nehemia Gordon. He's a world-renowned Jewish scholar who partnered with an African-American Methodist pastor from Minneapolis. They discovered a Hebrew version of the Lord's Prayer preserved by Jewish rabbis for over a thousand years. For more information about Spectrum, go to woub.org.